We're going to start this morning with a reading. Uh, if we'll put our reading up. There we are. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The word of the Lord. I am blessed and honored to be able to be, uh, welcome one of our members. Ah, there we go. That's almost musical. Um, everybody, everybody got that? There we are. Um, one of our members, and that's Grayson Borders, if you would welcome her this morning. I'll get us started, but we both have a lot to say today. We've heard the Christmas stories a million times, and whenever a minister approaches this time of year, one of the questions in his heart is always, how do I make it fresh? The problem is, it's so easy to turn these into cartoons and not really think about the people involved. And these people had lives that were irrevocably changed by the coming of Jesus the Christ. We want to talk about this month, every Sunday this month, that the coming of Jesus changed people, and it changed things. It changed everything. When Jesus comes into a life or into the world, his coming does two things. First, it changes what it finds. And second, it reveals what was always there but hidden. Think of this as you go through this month, changes and reveals. Talk to yourself about Jesus came. What did he change? What did he reveal? We're going to start with Mary and the announcement that came to her. I've often asked young women to read Mary's prayer. I think it's only appropriate because it was a very young woman whose life was changed. Now, I spoke with Grayson two or three months ago, perhaps, about this, and she said she didn't really think she had much to add to this, and then she sent me her thoughts on this a few days later. And I kept reading these. I looked over at Cammy and I said, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. I'm learning things I've never noticed before. I need to get Grayson up there with me. She was very kind to do so. So we start the story with two birth announcements. One to Zechariah and Elizabeth about the birth of John, and the other was to Mary and Joseph about the birth of Jesus. The difference between their responses to these birth announcements is remarkable. Both Mary and Zachariah saw an actual angel, yet only Mary had childlike faith. The young virgin fully understood how completely and totally bearing and then raising God's son would change her life, yet she immediately accepted and obeyed God's call. Zachariah, on the other hand, has a harder time even believing what the angel says in the first place. We see this remarkable difference through their immediate questions following the announcements. Mary responds to the angel saying, How can this be 
which in my understanding is more of a practical what's going to happen next kind of question. Zechariah, on the other hand, responds, how can I be sure? A question of doubt. And the angel tells him that he will not be allowed to speak until his baby is born. I think there is a really important lesson here in those two little questions, especially for our American culture. Often, our lack of faith here keeps us asking God for confirmation instead of just obeying and stepping into our calling. All throughout Scripture, people obey God, and then he confirms that they're moving in the right direction. It's rarely the other way around. When God has truly called you to move, standing still is disobedience. However, what is beautiful and awesome about Zechariah's story is that God still fulfills his purpose for Zechariah, even though he doesn't have the right response at first. God doesn't take away the blessing or the calling. He just teaches Zechariah to trust him more. When Jesus calls you, when this calling comes to your heart, he reveals what's in your heart. Later, as he taught, some would listen to Jesus and those words would bring freedom, relief, salvation. But others heard the exact same words and they started looking for a way to silence or kill him. The problem is not Jesus. The problem is our hearts and how open and ready we are to listen to Jesus. I often use the expression, Jesus happened in my own life, rather like Martin Luther used to always remind himself, but I have been baptized. I'll see a situation or I'll be a part of a situation and I'd step back and need to make a corrective. Jesus happened. I should be changed by that. Sometimes I react the same way somebody would on television, Fox News or MSNBC, or I, I form tribes and I speak for the tribe. But then I remember Jesus happened, and it changed me and everything. But it changed nobody on planet more than Mary. I don't think it changed Mary's character, because she was always a remarkable young woman, or God wouldn't have chosen her. But it did change everything else in her life. Mary was being called. And as somebody who has been a recipient of a calling, let me assure you, the calling rarely is God looking at you saying, I want you to go where you want to go, and I want you to do what you'd like to do. It's a challenge. It changes you. The more that I read scripture and learn from others around me, the more that I realize that calling often requires stepping into intense suffering and that it always requires deep humility. The lives of Elijah and Jeremiah, for instance, were made absolutely miserable by the very fact that they were called by God and then answered that call. Remember that Jesus would later say to those who followed him that they should pick up their cross. Surely this would have made all who heard him shudder, for there was no symbol at the time more horrible than the cross. Mary would pick up a cross. She would be known forever the rest of her life as an adulterous woman. Have you ever noticed how many times in Scripture Jesus steps up to forgive, protect, or bless a woman, especially if that woman is accused of adultery or has confessed adultery? I think it's because what he saw his mother go through. We cannot miss this very important part of the Christmas story. 
Mary's calling in life, perhaps the highest calling of all time, looked to the world like a pregnancy out of wedlock. She was doing what God told her to do. She was who God asked her to be, but the world looked upon this as a shameful thing, a teen pregnancy. It immediately troubled Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. Later, Joseph disappears from the story, and that's troubling. Nobody knows if he died or if he left her, maybe to start with a new family. Jewish law at the time said that if you uncovered such sin in your wife, you were free to go start a new family. Maybe that happened. We know women whispered and gossiped about her. Even centuries later, writers would claim that a Roman soldier impregnated her. God could have stepped in and shouted from the rooftops that Mary was clean and pure and innocent, but he didn't. Sometimes the calling brings pain and scars. It is those who are willing and still obey that are promised the crown at the end of life. The book of Revelation drives this home repeatedly. If you ever take a look at all of the promises in the book of Revelation, and we can, we can see them there. You receive a crown of life. You partake of the hidden manna. Receive a white stone with a new name. Granted power over the nations. Receive the morning star. Be clothed in right raiment. Be a pillar in a temple of God with the name of God engraved on you. Granted permission to sit with Christ in his throne. All of those are given to people who receive the call and respond. All of these are wonderful things, but all of them are only promised to those who have borne the pain, accepted the calling, and continued when times got hard. And sometimes they got really hard. I'm always fascinated by the things that are not in Scripture. In Sherlock Holmes' terms, the dog that did not bark. This is not in Scripture. What happened to Mary, her inner turmoil, we get a peek of it in Luke, who is probably an interviewer of Mary, but not much. And one of the reasons we don't have it is because everybody knew it. It didn't need to be written down. It's common knowledge what Mary went through. After a lifetime of slander, whispers, with a divided family, even her own children were divided between those that believed in her and those that did not. And with confusion as her, her son leaves her house, goes off teaching, is claimed to be crazy by his brothers. And then her life, we see her standing at the cross, watching her son die. There is little in Mary's life to envy, and yet we love and we treasure her because she answered the call. When Mary said yes to God's calling, think about what she didn't know. She didn't know it was going to lead her onto the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant, to a stable by an overbooked inn. That would not have been her choice. But her plan A was not God's plan. God has a plan, and it rarely is ours. Mary allowed the coming of Jesus to completely change her life, and we never get an example of her pushing back against God's will. 
She didn't even push back at the beginning of the call. Mary never spends time telling God what she is not. Not her age, not her place in society, not how much money she had or didn't have, or any concern about her personal inadequacy. Because she knew that the incarnation was not about her. I think a lot of times today we masquerade doubt or laziness in humility's clothing. We doubt what God can do with us or we just don't want to take the hard steps that he's calling us to. So we play it off as being humble or insecure. We tell God that we're too young, too old, not churched enough, not talented enough, not ready, etc., etc., to do whatever it is that we're being called to. As if A, the God who made us doesn't know who we are and who we're not. And as if B, the God of the world isn't big enough to overcome any weakness that we might have. After school, I have a job where I tutor two kids and they love to start telling me that whatever subject we're working on, they absolutely cannot and will not ever be able to do. I'm pretty sure that it's payback for me telling my mom a million times that I couldn't do math. I have to repeatedly remind them that we really will get a lot more done if they would stop telling me everything they will never be able to do and start actually trying to do it. It's absurd now to me when kids tell me that they can't do a certain subject because I can see that they absolutely can. For some reason, though, I try to tell God what I can't do all the time. For instance, I told him, no, God, I can't speak to an audience at church that includes my grandparents. That's crazy. (laughs) Every time that I felt that fear to speak, though, I just remembered Mary. There was no way that at any point in her life she ever felt ready to be the God of the world's mom. But she believed that when God said that his Holy Spirit would overshadow her, he meant it. I believe that you and I have that same spirit overshadowing us, and I want to live in the lover, love, and the power that he brings us. Instead of complaining to God about all that we're not or wanting someone else's calling, we get to recognize who we are and then move immediately. False modesty paralyzes purpose. By the way, I think, I think we should all put false modesty paralyzes purpose somewhere in our house. That's one of those phrases that she sent to me, and I went, oh, I'm, I'm 182 years old, and I hadn't thought of that one. <clears throat> but then that might have been false modesty, so I'm moving on. I'm moving on. <clears throat> Mary was willing to accept the calling if that is what God wanted her to do. One of these days, we'll come back to this and talk about the calling and what that is and what it might feel like. But let's not forget the theme for this Advent, change and revelation. The coming of Jesus changed the world. And one of the reasons it did and that it went so well is that Mary was willing to take the scars, the heat, the isolation. She would have led a lonely life. Others would have felt too good to be seen around her. But she did all of that to bring Jesus to us. Her answer to the call revealed who she was. God always knew it, but it is just possible that she did not yet know how strong she was until she went through fire. Years and years and years of fire, 
We don't ever see her getting an easy day, and yet she remained faithful. Now, the humble of the world, the ordinary, the non-special, the everyday person has reason to rejoice. For God has chosen the humble of the world to change it entirely. God chooses the weakest, dirtiest, most broken things of the world to shame the wise. It is so incredible to me that before Jesus comes and elevates the status of all women for the rest of history, God chooses Mary, a young woman, and raises her to bring Christ into the world. However, this is not just Mary's story. While the coming of Christ changed and revealed so much, it is so important to understand that nothing about God's nature or character changed at the Incarnation. The God who used Mary is the same God who saw the shepherd boy overlooked by his own family and raised him to be the king of Israel after his own heart. He's the same God who saw the poor and desperate men who came to that king at the cave of Adullam and raised them to be David's mighty men. He's the same God who saw Hannah in the shame and depression of her barren state and raised her to bring the prophet Samuel into the world. He's the same God who took Gideon, the self-proclaimed lowest of his family from the weakest of the tribes, and raised him to be a mighty judge and warrior. And he's the same God who took the disciples from the weak, timid men who fled when their Lord and Savior was arrested and raised them to be strong and fierce proclaimers of the truth of the gospel, even when it cost them everything. They knew it was worth it. They knew that this gospel, this God, this Jesus, would turn everything upside down in the best kind of way. It just amazes me how over and over and over again, it is the weak, dirty, broken things of the world that God chooses to fulfill his purposes. Each of us is called to bring Advent into our world. So I got up a while ago, I patted Will, and I said, this is the best job you'll ever have, raising your child. One of the biggest jobs we have is to bring Advent into the life of the children, to bring Advent into our own lives, <clears throat> because they will believe what we do more than they will believe what we say, into our lives, into our jobs, <clears throat> into our schools, our interactions with each other, into the way we raise our children, into the way we treat each other, in the way we handle what is going on in our world, Advent is real. But it is not real unless it changes you. And unless it reveals something about you you did not know before. Jesus came. It changed everything. What we do with the will and the call of God reveals who we are. Accept it. And you can change the course of human history. Would you stand, please? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And as a congregation, let's read that together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. May God bless you. Let's sing. <clears throat> 